This is UCD Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. And each week, we'll be joined by world-renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders, to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and the world. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist, and lecturer at UCD College of Business. Okay, the days are getting brighter. Yes, they are getting brighter. There even is a hint of the occasional bit of sun out there. It's great after the tough month that was January. We are moving into a different phase of the year and some some good news and positive news on the COVID front as well. A lot of you maybe should be thinking about not going back to the office, but certainly people are thinking of what the economy might look like post the pandemic. And one of the areas that has been very heavily scrutinised is how we commute how we get around, do we need to get around at all, where do we need to work, how often do we need to visit the office when this eventually passes. All those questions are dominating media coverage and today's guest on the podcast, on our Business Impact podcast, is going to shed a lot of light on the kind of modes of transport we should be looking at, particularly among younger people at the moment and that's Charlie Gleeson who is a UCD born and bred entrepreneur if you want to call him that. He's actually talking to me today on the podcast live from campus uh, he can bring us up to speed on that. And he is the founder and CEO of Zip Mobility, which is an e-scooter company that is starting already in Ireland, reaching out and also stretching his tentacles into the British market as well. And it has ambitions to go even further than that down the line. You're very welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Thanks a million for having me on, Emmett. Uh, you're sitting there on campus, as I said, you were um, sort of born and bred to the UCD entrepreneurial system, including Nova UCD, and you've also undergone an accelerator program. So you're really kind of a homegrown uh, talent from our point of view. So you're very welcome to the, the podcast. First of all, just tell me a little bit about yourself and then we move on to a little bit of a chat about the company itself. Sure. Um, well, as you said, thanks for the intro. My name is Charlie Gleeson. Um, and I suppose, you know, I can't go too deep into my background. I'm, I'm 25 years old, so it would be a, quite a short story. But I suppose uh, I finished up school and went into a level six in DIT, uh, where I studied business management. And I was there, I kind of, um, you know, found a bit of a passion for, for practical elements of business as opposed to, you know, what they might have taught in school. Uh, and I definitely started to kind of enjoy the the startup scene and, and uh, you know, uh, loved reading about new businesses and things like that. Um, so I was there for around two years, um, finished up the level six and, and got in a back door into commerce in UCD. Um, so yeah, I, I was in commerce for two years um, and in which time I kind of um, convinced myself that I wanted to be an accountant, um, like a lot of BCom students. So I was studying to, to become a chartered accountant and was doing my cap ones in, in my final year of college. Um, but something wasn't really sitting right with me, I guess. Um, I wasn't 100% passionate about it um, necessarily. Um, but yeah, look, I, I kept up the kind of reading about startups and, and there were one or two startups I found really, really interesting on the West Coast of America. This was only two years ago or so, well, three years ago now, I'd say. But I was looking at the scooter sharing industry on the West Coast of America. Now, scooter sharing, for those of you who don't know, is uh, where there are scooters dotted all over a city. Um, you download the app, the scooter sharing app. In our case, it's the Zip app. Uh, you locate your nearest scooter, you scan onto the scooter, and you ride to your destination. So it's this really easy service. But I was looking at one or two companies in particular, and I was fascinated by the level of growth that these companies were achieving. Now, I'm talking getting into 100 markets in their first 12 months, hitting unicorn status within two months, you know, being valued at over a billion 
you know, within two months of launching. I just thought it was crazy. But the other thing was that I was fascinated by the level of uptake. And we saw that scooter sharing had around 10x the demand that was there for bike sharing. Um, and I just thought that was really, really interesting. So I suppose in my final year of college, um, I had an assignment that was, you know, what company would you bring to Ireland and why? And I thought this would be a good opportunity to get a bit of market research under my belt, uh, looking at the industry. Um, so I started examining these companies and researching everything I could about how they charge them and, uh, you know, how the operating hours and, you know, all that kind of thing. And there were two things I realized almost immediately. Um, the first was that scooters are illegal in Ireland. Um, now, that is something, I suppose, that a lot of people would close the book on a business idea when they realize uh, it's illegal to operate. But I actually saw it as an opportunity. Um, you saw a lot of European countries legalizing e-scooters. Um, and I, I, I knew that it was going to be the legislation was going to change here and it was going to change in the UK. So I saw it as an opportunity to kind of get my ducks in a row so that when the legislation did change, we'd be in a perfect position to, you know, win licenses with local authorities. And I suppose that's the aim of the game in the industry. And Charlie, if I could stop you there, you're, you're saying the scooters are illegal, but I see so many of them on the road. So, so what, what's been happening for, say, the last two to three years? Is it just the authorities are turning the blind eye or people just don't care? They're going to do it anyway. So what, what's happening on the on the roads and streets with, with the regulatory framework? So I suppose, you know, scooters are new technology or the scooters that we see today are new technology anyway. Uh, and what the, it, it's not necessarily that they're illegal. It's more so that there's a gray area. And the gray area is whether electric scooters are mechanically propelled vehicles or mechanically assisted vehicles. Now, in simple terms, that just means should we class electric scooters as motorbikes or should we class electric scooters as regular push bikes? Um, and the consensus from the RSA and the guards uh, is that they are mechanically propelled vehicles, meaning that you need tax insurance, you need a license to use them uh, and all the you know, complications that come with, with, with cars and, and motorbikes. Um, so this is something that's it's, it's just terminology. It's just how they were classed. Um, they're in no way more dangerous than bicycles or anything like that. It's just uh, the way it's fallen. And um, thankfully, I suppose the Irish government are now changing legislation on electric scooters um, and the UK did so uh, with COVID. So it's really interesting what happened. Um, if I was just to take you back, I guess, to you know when I finished college, the goal of, of ZIP was to launch scooter sharing schemes across university campuses in Ireland and the UK so that when the legislation did change, we'd have various beachheads across Ireland and the UK and we'd be in a very good position to, as I said, win licenses. But Obviously, with COVID, our university strategy kind of went under. We had our first contract with a university signed and sealed, and, uh, and then COVID struck and no students on campus. But what also happened with COVID was that the UK government realized that public transport capacity was in so much trouble due to social distancing. And they needed people to move in a way that they had never moved before. And what they did was they legalized electric scooter sharing schemes to you know, provide a socially distanced form of public transport. And um, so that's when, yeah, I suppose I, I went to a few of the backers that were looking at investing in our university project. And I said, look, there's a new project. It's the UK market. We have everything ready to go. Just give us the money and we'll go win licenses. When I say we, it was just myself at the time. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's what, that's what we did. We, we raised a small seed round of 300,000 euro um, and we hired a few people to go out and tender for these licenses in the UK. And um, yeah, now we're up and running in three cities uh, we have the second largest international market share in the UK. And yeah, it's, it's all going very well. A few more launches coming up and it's been, been an interesting two years. 
And Charlie, let's go back then right down to the fundamentals of this mode of transport. I mean, this isn't the first time scooters have been around. I mean, obviously they they had a kind of a mini trend back in the 70s, long before you were <laughs> on the scene at all. In those days, they weren't motorized. They were just using the other leg. But yet there was something about them that did catch on with a certain demographic. Then they've sort of come back in again in the more recent years. What do you think it is about them? We'll come on to the business in a second, but looking at the more romantic side of it, maybe, what is it about that form of transport that has sort of drawn so many people into it? I don't know. It's so easy. Like, you know, people have been working on this for so long uh, to kind of disrupt the bike, I guess. Well, maybe that's a bit harsh because I do think there's a place for both. But, you know, in the early 2000s, we saw the Segway, you know, the two, two-wheeler that you kind of lean forward on. And there's been a lot of, you know, vehicles like that. I remember even when I was about 15 years ago, there was, you know, seated electric scooters, but the battery life would never really last. You know, you'd be charging them for 24 hours and they'd last for two. Um, and I suppose battery life is one thing that's kind of brought on micro mobility and leaps and bounds. IoT as well. So for scooter sharing, I suppose, um, you know, the ability to scan on with your smartphone, just ease of access is, is great. Um, and yeah, just it's just an extremely convenient way to get around. Uh, it's perfect for solving, I suppose, what's known as the last mile problem. And in this context, the last mile problem is the difficulty of getting to and from public transport links, but any other journey as well between, you know, one and five kilometers. Um, and scooter just, scooters just, pro, you know, connect uh, disconnected public transport links, if you get me, you know, between the Dart and the bus and the Lewis um, to your house from public transport, to your workplace from public transport. But as I said, any other journey between one and five kilometers as well. So um, there's a huge literal gap in the market for them uh, that we're trying to fill with scooters. And Charlie, uh, like any company, you're looking at product substitution. What are what are the other products that people could use if not a scooter? You've mentioned the bikes, obviously, but do you see every kind of mode of transport as a, a possible substitute or, or, or competitor, or do you see it very much as the bike is the is the one in your in your eye? No, it's not. It's not the bike. You know, I would always encourage active travel, and anyone who's you know willing to cycle should do so. But I think there is always benefit in having another mode of transport that fills a better type of journey a little bit better, if that makes sense. So if we see in Ireland and the UK, over 70% of car journeys are less than two miles. Now, no one has a problem with, you know, driving two, two miles, but I think everyone would agree that that is not the most efficient way to get around. Um, you know, and, and I think cars are great for, you know, 40 plus kilometer journeys and electric cars obviously are even better than that. Um, bikes are perfect as well for slightly longer journeys, electric bikes even longer than that. So I think what I'm trying to say is that right now, yes, we will be replacing some elements of public transport, some elements of bikes, electric bikes, cars. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, normalize electric scooters for certain journeys between, say, one and four or five kilometers. Um, it, they are the most efficient in, in my view. And I mean, do you, do you get any sense, Charlie? I mean, just from walking around myself, there's, there's a very tense atmosphere out there nowadays because road it's a limited resource you've pedestrians clearly you've cars you've got scooters you've got um, people on skateboards let's not forget them you've got um people jogging you've got dog walkers and covid has suddenly kind of really highlighted this it's just the sheer amount of people that are using our public spaces do, do you think that's gonna be in your favor or, or does it mean you're, you're gonna be throwing yourselves in as a a kind of an extra warring tribe on those roads i think we'll definitely be helping so i suppose the the goal of electric scooters traditionally is to get people out of cars um, or electric scooter sharing. It's to get people out of cars. Um, of electric scooter journeys, 25 to 35% would have been cars if that scooter sharing option wasn't, wasn't there. 
Um, so there's a real, real shift uh, happening. You know, in the markets we're currently in, we estimate that we've replaced over 10,000 car journeys in the last 12 weeks. Um, so it has a massive, massive impact. But with COVID, um, the replacement of public transport in the short term is definitely beneficial as well. Um, you know, as I said, public transport capacity has been reduced by over 75%. Uh, we also saw over the summer in a level three lockdown, traffic congestion was back to over 100% of what it normally is. So with this fear of public transport, everyone is just hopping in their car and we need to kind of get away from that. We've also seen in, in Dublin particularly, there's been a huge uh, effort by the local authorities to get people out of cars, to get people off of public transport. We've seen the pop-up cycle lanes. If you look at you know, the city centre, there's a huge amount of cycle lanes that weren't there before. You look at Dunleary Rat Down, the, the one-ways and the dual cycle lanes, uh, the whole way along the coast. Uh, so a lot of work is being done um, and the councils, local authorities and, and are on the same page as it. Like we need, we need change and we need this green restart. Talk to me a bit about customers. I mean, there's a, there is a stereotype of a scooter user, and I want to get your, your take on that, whether the stereotype holds any water at all or is a little bit unfair, but it's, it's, it's a young tech worker working in Google, working in Facebook, got their coffee in the hand, the other hand is on the handlebars. It, it, just, just talk to me a little bit about who are the scooter users or who will become scooter users, in your opinion, in the future. Sure, I definitely, I definitely um, wouldn't advise anyone to be holding a coffee while scooting. That's, no. a, that's a talent in itself. But look, if you look at the, the people that use electric scooters in Ireland right now, I think a lot of them probably are international workers that you know, live close to the city centre and have less than a five-kilometre uh, commute. I think the reason a lot of international people use electric scooters is because if you're from you know Spain or France or Germany um, they're used to having electric scooter sharing schemes all over and they realize how practical they are uh, so in an Irish context they are definitely the early adopters because they've seen the benefits in other countries and um, if we look at you know our, our typical users in the UK yes there's a huge amount of uh, you know men and women but like probably under the age between the age of 18 and 35 would probably be our key demographic, but definitely not limited to that demographic. Um, what we've also seen, you know, we held in-person training days and specific over 65 training days and things like that um, because, you know, we offer training in our app, but a lot of people want, you know, a specifically elder demographic might want, you know, in-person training days where, you know, if they're initially nervous, we can kind of coach them through and, and show them that this is a safe uh, form of transport. So um, I, I think that the demographic probably is, you know, 18 to 35. There are more men than women on scooters. But that being said, the gender gap in, in electric scooters is less than that of bicycles. So it's actually more equitable, I guess. So, yeah, I think uh, that is our key demographic, but not limited to that demographic whatsoever. Now, Charlie, you've been featured in the um, Independent where the 30 under 30 entrepreneurs and certainly your company has gained a lot of traction because some of the funders that have come behind you, one of them is former Ireland Rugby International Brian O'Driscoll and a lot of other funds have come in as well. What are your ambitions for this company? I mean, it's been an incredible story so far. As you said, you took an idea straight from college years. You've rolled it out. You're now in two markets. Okay. The pandemic has come in and, you know, probably somewhat arrested your momentum, understandably. But what's your own personal ambition long term for how big the company can grow? And, you know, what, what is the sort of the limit or where, where do you see it going? Sure. So I suppose we had the luxury of being a couple of years late to the market. So first and foremost, what we've done is we've taken the, the mistakes of other scooter sharing companies and taken their playbooks and improved on them. 
you know, there's a huge, like we are greener, we're more ethical, we're leaner. Uh, and we've just got a, a business model that resonates with local authorities. And we understand that every local authority is different. Um, so, you know, with that, we managed to raise 1.1 million so far in the last six months. We've grown our team from one to 20 people in the last six months. Uh, we have, you know, an office, we have offices in Somerset, Buckinghamshire, Dublin. So it's been a great start so far. Uh, and with that funding that we've raised, the 1.1 million, we've, we've, we've turned that into revenue generating schemes. So what essentially we're going to do is we're just going to do that again, except much, much bigger this time. Uh, we've proven that we can do it. We've proven that we can win licenses, rollout schemes. So I suppose the immediate future is taking over the Irish market. That's the plan. Uh, and rolling out schemes, working with local authorities all over the country. We also plan to be up and running in mainland Europe before the end of the year. But in summary, I suppose what we're trying to do is we're just trying to get uh, Zip global. We're trying to do micro mobility right, which is uh, is our slogan. And um, you know we plan to have uh, tens of thousands of scooters on the ground, replacing tens of millions of car journeys per year. Um, that's the goal. And Charlie, in terms of um, the change for you personally, going from just yourself to managing 20 people, how's that, how's that transition going? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Like, you know, it was um, definitely tough at the start. At the start, I was kind of, you know, wearing my CEO hat during the day, going out, meeting, you know, seven, eight, nine people. And then in the evening, I'd kind of, uh, you know, put the associate hat on or the graduate hat on and actually do all the work required from the action items from the meeting. So definitely long days um, I've definitely learned to delegate a lot better um, but I think hiring a lot of people very quickly the, the trickiest thing for us was was the structure who answers to who what job is in whose remit and things like that uh, so there was probably a little bit of overlap at the start but it's something we spent a lot of time on and uh, and yeah it's a well-oiled machine now and um, so yeah as I said we've got a, a good team focusing on kind of growth and leaning out our operations and marketing efforts and all that kind of thing so yeah no it's all going very well and charlie in terms of you know the future of the business what, what do you see as the markets is it mainly ireland or the uk that are going to give the growth or is there kind of a european dimension that's going to arise soon i suppose zip was founded to launch and scale across ireland and the uk and, and the opportunity that i saw first and foremost was the fact that scooters were illegal in both countries so that gave us time to kind of get up and running but as well as that like when we we gave us time to research the market and see how we can improve on the existing offerings out there so that's kind of the obvious opportunity because that's where there's going to be you know zero to a hundred kind of growth um but at the same time and um, there's massive massive opportunity in mainland europe which i said we we hope to enter before the end of the year um we are looking at opportunities in the states as well uh, nowhere is off limits right now um you know we have this kind of hidden gem strategy and um, we've got extremely lean operations relative to the rest of the industry and having these really lean operations allows us to operate in markets with less demand i.e smaller markets so if we can you know operate profitably which we can and do in smaller markets than most of our competitors this creates a new type of blue ocean strategy which we're trying to uh, execute upon um, so yeah that's kind of that's kind of what we're thinking we think the opportunities are endless globally and you're obviously talking a lot about the customers there you you're putting a strong emphasis on the local authorities that sounds that sounds pretty clever to me but in terms of sourcing the scooters themselves and the equipment and all talk to me a little bit of where you're getting those and and how big a challenge it was getting getting the kind of product you wanted out to people yeah, like it, it was, it was difficult enough. Um, okay, the app development was was, was straightforward enough, uh, but it was the um, it was the 
scooter manufacturers, uh, we outsource our scooters at the moment. We're somewhat hardware agnostic. We kind of leave that up to the experts because we recognize that you know there are people pumping hundreds of millions into developing the best scooters in the world. So why not piggyback off that for now? Um, so yeah, we, we kind of, we source our scooters from China. Um, I, I can't really go into too much detail on it, but yeah, we, we, that's where we source the scooters from right now. And in terms of accidents, safety, which I would have thought coming to this completely new, just to full disclosure here, I've never been on a scooter, I've never purchased a scooter, so, you know, I just want to put that at the table, a lot of listeners will probably say that that's coming across strongly, but in, in terms of safety, I have read a few stories, there has been some negative publicity occasionally for the industry when somebody falls off or gets hit, a bit like the motorbike market, there's always that concern about how much protection there is around you if you're involved in an accident. Do you see that as being the limiting factor just in terms of how the product is perceived, you know, in the next few years? Do you identify that yourself as kind of the thing that, that might be a holding back factor on the growth curve? Uh, well, this is actually, I, I want to thank you for kind of giving us the opportunity to talk about this a little bit. Um, so the first thing I'd say is that the OECD carried out a safety report on micromobility and found that electric scooters were, you know, looking at accidents per million rides, which is the best metric to, to measure scooters against bikes. They found that scooters were as safe as bicycles. So that, that's the first thing that I'd say. But I do believe, anecdotally, I do believe that a scooter operator or scooter sharing service is as safe as the operator and as safe as the emphasis that the operator puts on it. So safety is very, very much at the core of our offering and what we do. Um, thankfully, we've had you know over 50,000 journeys since November and we've had zero accidents, touch wood. Um, but yeah, we, we, we do so much on safety. You know, we give we have training days and specifically for the elderly as well, we have training days for first time users. So if you look at where accidents actually happen, they happen to first time users uh, and they also happen late at night. So by creating a controlled environment for first time users where you get hundreds or thousands of people to attend training days, um, you're reducing the likelihood of accidents massively. The second thing is that we give out free helmets at all of our training days. Um, but what we've seen from the data is that nearly all or you know, a massive percentage of scooter sharing accidents that happen, happen in the very early hours of Saturday and Sunday mornings. So you know, people having a few jars and, and getting on the scooters. Now, when we launch in Dublin, we don't want people coming out of coppers on our, on our electric scooters because you know, that's an accident <laughs> waiting to happen. So what we do is we actually turn our service off at, at 10.30 p.m. Now, we make exceptions for uh, healthcare workers in the UK. We give free rides to all of our healthcare workers, and we actually give them uh, specific hours that are slightly different to, to everyone else um, just just uh, to offer that service to them um, during during COVID. Um, but yeah, we do a huge amount. You know, all of our, all of our users are insured. Uh, we've got nanoseptic wraps, which are essentially self-sanitizing handlebars on all of our scooters. The scooter we use is the safest in the world, um, and I would be happy to um, stand over that statement as well. So, look, we do a huge amount on safety, and it never really stops, to be honest. But the, but the whatever about you, what you do, what about the perception? I mean, do you think that you know, as an industry, you're going to have to tackle that perception? Or, or yeah, I think I think as the industry evolves, it will kind of tackle itself. You know, I think um, as I said, like the OECD carrying out reports to show that scooters are as safe as bikes is huge. Um, the one thing that I would say is, you know, there's no guidance on electric scooters right now. There's no rules. Uh, and that's because bodies like the RSA can't come out and tell people how to ride electric scooters safely uh, because they're still illegal. So I think naturally when scooters are legalized, bodies like the RSA will be able to get behind them and, and, and carry out safety campaigns in the same way they've carried them out for 
wearing a seatbelt or wearing a helmet and a high vis on a bike. I think scooter, the messages around how to ride scooters safely will be uh, more widely accessible. So that's the issue right now that we're facing. And obviously a big part of that is going to be where they transport. Is it on as part of the main road or in the bicycle lane? So how is that debate kind of evolving or where they should ultimately find themselves on the, the, the road network? So at the start, when scooters launched in, in Europe, um, Paris was probably the biggest scooter sharing market or biggest early scooter sharing market, I would say. And there were about 50, 15 different operators. The local authority allowed anyone that wanted to launch in and they were allowed to ride on the footpaths, on the roads. There was no governance over the type of vehicle they used and things like that. Now, that was obviously a complete disaster. So um, first and foremost, where should they be ridden? They should be ridden on the road or if there are cycleways or cycle paths, they should be on the cycle paths. Um, exact same as a bike. They shouldn't be on the footpath. That's when things get a little bit dangerous in my view. Uh, and the education is really, really important to let people know that they shouldn't be on the road. So in the UK, for example, scooters are actually illegal on the footpaths and we expect it to be the same here in Ireland. So, so in terms of the talking to the authorities, obviously the Gardaí have a role here. As you said, the, the Safety Council, the National Road Safety Council are involved. Is, is there a particular body that you're liaising with and have been meeting with as a company? Who, who do you deal with to try and take forward and make that regulatory framework more sympathetic to your industry? Yeah, like I think everyone's kind of, everyone understands that it's coming, which is great. So everyone's open to talking. So yeah, we've met with the RSA. We've talked on Garda Shia we work with the local authorities. We work with the planning committees uh, or transport planning committees as well. Um, like I think everyone has their two cents and everyone needs to be heard. And that's part of our kind of micro mobility done right approach. We kind of listen first and then give suggestions because there's no point in just putting down a blanket service uh, to a local authority and saying this is how it's going to be done. We understand that, yeah, as I said, every local authority is different. Every local authority has different transport needs and transport issues whether it's you know, transport inequalities or infrastructure. Uh, and we listen first, and then we kind of implement the scheme after that. Um, so yeah, we're, we're talking to everyone under the sun that will be in any way affected by electric scooters, you know, um, Free Now, Dublin Bus, everyone. And so yeah, it's really important to kind of get buy-in from the local stakeholders uh, before you kind of look to launch a scheme or, or tell a, a local authority how to do it. Now, Charlie, you've set up a business a few years ago, but you, you know, it's, it's been hit by the pandemic. But this is a great time, despite what everyone might think, to begin a business. History tells us companies from IBM to Microsoft were all begun at a time of an economic um, downturn. Probably not as severe as this, but nevertheless, the lesson does hold. I mean, what, what do you think yourself? I mean, have you advice for people who may be laid off, maybe on a PUP payment, maybe have just graduated they're, they're seeing endless, endless dark headlines every evening on the news, on television, on their phone. Is this a good time, in your view, to try something new, to set up something small, a micro-enterprise of some kind? Just, just give us your own, your own perspective on that. Yeah, like, I don't want to sound insensitive, um, but I do think it is an excellent time to start a business. Uh, and there's a few reasons for that. One thing that I actually found, uh, uh, this isn't advice as such, but it's something that I found at the very start of Zip, um, or sorry, not at the start of it, but when the pandemic hit, networking became a lot easier for, for young entrepreneurs um, or aspiring entrepreneurs. So if I wanted to reach out to someone um, before the pandemic and I wanted to reach out to the CEO of another transport company, um, I'd be asking them, can I meet them for a coffee, which could take you know 90 minutes to two hours out of their day. And I was finding that a lot of them were kind of like, ah, yeah, maybe not or not replying or whatever it might be. But now you're just asking, can we jump on a Zoom call for 15 minutes? Also, you're not limited by geographical locations either. Like I have, you know, a, 
a, a great network of people in the scooter sharing industry all across the globe. And that wouldn't have happened unless Zoom had been kind of normalized as such. Um, so I think there's massive benefits. And I think the scale of networking is now kind of yeah endless. I think you can reach out to anyone in the world and have a chat with them, which is great. Um, yeah, like I, I think I'd, I definitely would be advising people to start a business now, for sure. And in terms of milestones, we're kind of in the early stages, first few months, first uh, quarter of 2021. I mean, what what are you looking out for this year? Is there a particular moment in the company's evolution this year that's going to make or break you guys or, you know, really bring you on to the next level? What's the next big milestone in the company's evolution? Uh, there's, there's a few. Just um, surviving. <laughs> no, like, I, I, like I, I honestly, like, again, without trying to, I'm tr- not trying to be insensitive here, but scooter sharing in the UK was legalized because of the new need for social distance form of transport. And that holds true in Dublin as well. You know, scooters are being legalized to tackle public transport capacity issues. Uh, and, and, you know, this is one industry that is going to grow. And it's, it's the, green, the green restart, uh, as I said before, is, is, is going to benefit from um, looking and, and exploring alternative modes of transport. Um, so, uh, what's our what are our goals for this year? I suppose. Well, my, milestones like obviously you've got you've got cash in the door. You've had a fundraising, so I, I presume you're okay there for now. But at some point, you you you'll have a cash burn like any company. Like what, yeah, you'd be you surprised. Is- you'd be surprised. So we're going to be raising money again this year for sure. And uh, legislation will be changing in Ireland. My best guess is May. It's already with the government. We will be tendering for licenses across Ireland over the summer, so we hope to launch in Dublin. Um, I'd say that's the first license that's going to go up. So I would, I would hope to launch you know, a couple of thousand scooters in Dublin this summer, uh, and then also we want to have our first launch in mainland Europe as well. So uh, Ireland, mainland Europe, and, and continue to grow in the UK would be our, our, um, our, growth, our growth milestones that we want to hit. Okay. Well, listen, finally, Charlie, I hope you're, you're living the product. I hope to see you out on the road on, on your scooter. How often do you go yourself or do you jump on all sorts of tra- transport modes? For sure. I actually, you know, my New Year's resolution was to get rid of the car to really understand the kind of modes of transport and, and gaps in the, in the transport uh, networks in Dublin. So uh, I've actually, I haven't been, I haven't been uh, scooting around because technically it's illegal. So I'll uh, abide by the rules for now. Um, so I've been getting Moby electric bikes and Dublin bus are, are the two to, that I use to commute. Okay, well, I'll see you out there in the summer when they finally get legalised. For and sure. I'll, I'll, I'll promise you I'll take a show. Maybe we'll, we'll do another post-journey uh, podcast later in the year. I've really enjoyed having you on. Best of luck with it. It's a fantastic company and hopefully further success awaits. And as you said, there is the environmental contribution that it makes, which we haven't really covered as much because time is against us. But thank you very much, the founder and CEO of Zip Mobility, Charlie Gleason, for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Emmett.